Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Hi, welcome to this episode of Impact the World. Today's guest is Kyle Gray, who many of you will be familiar with. Kyle has written seven best-selling books. He is known often as an angel expert. He is an author, an international speaker, and was at one time considered the UK's youngest medium. It was lovely to get to talk to him after all these years of knowing each other out there, and he had some great things to say. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Kyle, and you can find his work at kylegray.co.uk. And as ever, all of the links will be in the notes for the show. Kyle, thank you so much for being with us today. And I was just saying to you right before we got started that I we've never met before. I mean, we've had some messages um, yeah. over over the last few years um, online, but we've never actually like been either in person or on video. So this is a treat. Yeah. And I was saying to you that I started doing readings um, in 2004, so 16 years ago. And it was about 2006, I started putting work on YouTube and online. And it was really quickly after that, that I saw you out there. I mean, it must have been 2006, seven or eight. And I remember, I was like, wow, who's this cool angel guy? And you were really young. And I mean, you're still young compared to me, because there's like 12 Uh years between us. But I remember really being struck by just the uniqueness of your youth and your certainty with your gift. And uh, yeah, it was it was a really cool thing just to see you out there doing something very different um, with confidence. And so I'm, I'm curious first, before we kind of dive deep into things, mm. you've been doing this work now publicly for how long? So my business is 16 years old right. this year. Yeah, I think it is. So... <laughs> Quite a long time, yeah. Yeah, so we have the same years. So how <laughs> old were you when you started then? You must have been 16. I started doing readings when I was 16. And um, it wasn't full time, you know. I was still, I was a high school dropout, just so you know. Like, I, I'm quite proud of that. And uh, I walked out of school at 15 and I just got a job in a hairdresser's uh, sweeping up hair and, and uh, shampooing very badly. And... Um, I had to wait until I was 17 to officially start my business at the time. So I just got a number of jobs just to keep me going. And then when I was 17, I went through the Scottish Enterprise, which is like a, an entrepreneurial uh, set up uh, by the government. And, and I went through their business courses to learn how to like start an official business. And uh, yeah, I've been doing it ever since then. So your gift... When did that start? Because that was really young for you, wasn't it? That it was yeah. just there for you. So I call it a skill rather okay. than a gift. Just just more because I think everyone can do it. I genuinely believe that. Yeah, totally. It's like a muscle, you know, you just learn how to grow it. But I started really young. I had um, a virus when I was four years old called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And it's, uh, it's an autoimmune virus that attacks the nervous system. And I was paralyzed for just over a year. 
And at the same time as me having Guillain-Barr syndrome, my grandmother had stage four lymphoma cancer. So we're both in wheelchairs, both in the same home at the same time. It was very uh, interesting to look back at, but we created this incredible bond. And it was right around that time my sensitivity level started to shift because I couldn't walk or get up and go from one room to the other. I could kind of sense beyond the room. And then as the year went on, my um, grandmother's health deteriorated really badly and my health naturally improved. Mm -hmm. So we thought I had meningitis for about six months and then my health started to, to shift. And um, I remember one night, I'll never forget this week as long as I live. It was the week school started and um, my grandmother was moved to hospital. I remember getting this Ninja Turtles lunch box and being obsessed with it. And uh, I remember my parents going to the hospital to be my nana. And then I woke, I went to bed, a neighbor put me to sleep that night. And I woke up for the night and my grandmother was, was back home and uh, she flipped me on my belly and tickled my back. And it was, it was so nice. And um, I remember just feeling so loved. And then the next morning I went looking for my grandmother and I couldn't find her anywhere. So I told my mom, where's Nana? Like, you know, like she came into my room last night and she tickled my back when I was sleeping. And my mom just couldn't put two and two together. Um, but it turns out she'd actually passed away that night. And that was like my initial awakening. Yeah. And it was quite a traumatic week when I look back because my, um, you know, there's no resentment or anything now, but my father was also caught having an affair that week. My grandmother passed away. I was starting school and then my mom had a bit of a nervous breakdown. So there was this like weird week and um, it kind of like catapulted me from this realm to the other. Yeah, shattering of the, the world you knew to open up the other one. Yeah. Wow. And, and then was, you were five? I was four. So I was about four. four, four and a half. And then basically from then onwards, just weird stuff would start to happen. And, um, you know, I had these migraine headaches that ended up lasting 11 years and um, the doctors, like my parents obviously had spent, I'd spent a lot of time in a children's hospital because I had Guillain-Barre syndrome and the doctors had just thought this is an after effect of having nerve damage, you know, of just like not having, um, being able to walk and all these different things. And so I was tried on like every medication you can imagine. And then at that time, E-numbers, you know, like additives was a big topic in health. And a, a specific doctor said, it's obviously candy and E-numbers or, you know, all these different things. So my parents took me off, like, all sugar, all candy, all. And I, I got even more sensitive, even more aware, you know, like, petting people's dead dogs. You know, I was, like, talking to dogs that no one else could see. <laughs> <laughs> so they started putting me back on all the candy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there was just lots of weird happenings and then my mum accidentally ended up going to like a, a session with a medium like a her friend was hosting a an, our next door neighbor 
hosting a medium. And my mom was like a mobile hairdresser mm-hmm. at the time. And she said, this medium has just arrived at my house. And she says, I'm looking for Diane. Her, her mother, Agnes, is, is here to talk about her blue-eyed boy. And my mom was like, what do you mean? My mom was like, you know, cutting someone's hair. And they called her on one of those massive phones that we used to get. And um, my mom rushed to this psychic. And then the woman was like, your son is is going to be like me when he grows up. And and she said, uh, you'll come off of a, she said this weird prediction, it was so strange, you'll come off of a cruise ship and his face will be on um, a national newspaper and it happened. And it was just so weird. Uh, uh, the Daily Mail called me the youngest medium in the UK when I was 17 years old. And they plastered my photograph in the middle of this. And we had just come back from uh, a cruise uh, holiday together, my mom and I. So it was really, you know, weird. and That's brilliant. You know, my parents um, read that paper, um, although I wasn't living with them at the time. But that's how I knew you. It's like, you know, and that's how that's how you were in Britain at the time, kind of put out there. And what was so fascinating to me about that was... We didn't see that. And I tell you what I remember about you, although I don't know if I really clued in on this at the time, but now I look back, you know, often in the press um, or in conversation and in societal programming, there is like a kickback reaction against anything uh, outside the norm, supernatural, medium is, you know, there's this programming that people go, oh, that's crazy. You know, it's almost like you're, you're supposed to reject it, disassociate from it, distrust it. I don't remember any of that around you in the press coverage. And I think that was what was different. Like, I'm not sure, maybe you experienced yeah. some of that, but the way you were presented, and perhaps it was your youth, yeah. there was always something very innocent about it that was very magnetic. And clearly that's partly you, but there was also something about you that was very accepted, which was kind of cool to me at the time. I was like, wow, this is different. Yeah, well... I will be honest, it was it was actually very positive initially in a lot of these newspapers and to go from there and then I ended up writing at the Sun newspaper for five years as like a columnist. They called me the angel whisperer at the time. You know, just to think I ended up writing in these very right-wing newspapers yeah. about very progressive ideas, very, you know, otherworldly I just, and not being edited or watered down. I was like writing about, you know, higher chakras and all these crazy ideas. And it, it seemed to just work. <laughs> That's fantastic. Like if anything, you know, it's like, because often in, in our field, you can, you know, as they say, can be preaching to the choir a lot of the time. So how brilliant that, you know, you were like the Trojan horse that managed to get into those papers. And, and also, I don't know about you, Kyle, the one thing I've noticed is... You know, I was very nervous to go public as a channeler. And luckily for me, it happened very slowly. And channeling was a very fringy world. And it wasn't anything I really knew existed until I got taken into it because of the work I was doing. Mm. But I was a little protected in a way. But I think the thing that I was struck by was how many supposedly ordinary people, um, people who had very ordinary jobs like CEOs of big companies, um, people who would not have talked about their spirituality to their friends would literally come up and grab me by the arm and go, I don't tell anybody this, but I get messages from my guides too. And it's how I run my company. <laughs> so it was kind of like this, you know, like this covert thing. So I think, 
I think the reason it's, you know, I think for, for people who perhaps don't overtly talk about it or explore it, because it's in us, mm. we are souls, we are spirits. I think there is a natural interest and I think there is, the lights go on inside you when you come in into contact with somebody who is either the right kind of person for you, the right kind of way of experiencing spirit, the right quite kind of language or form. And so, um, yeah, again, I just go back to that. There was an innocence with you that partly was youth and partly I think was the angelic frequency that yeah. allowed you to kind of do that, which is, which is great. I genuinely believe that it's almost like, the angels kind of set everything up and we're like, if you want to do this, like we'll totally roll with it. And I remember having this conversation, even when I was so young, I was like 16 or 17. I'm like, okay, are you going to do this? Cause I ended up like doing lots of TV as well back then. And, you know, like being the psychic on these like shows on, you know, ITV and doing all these things. And, I remember just having this conversation myself, like, are you going to do this? Like, do you feel okay with, with doing this? And I remember feeling, you know what, this is just an opportunity to be unapologetically yourself. And I think that's what's been really helpful for me is that I've never held back with what I do. Like people will say like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I speak to angels. And they're like, what? You know, and it's never been, oh, I don't question it. I just say it. And if someone's not ready to like receive that, then that's okay. But I'm not going to water down my life, you know, because it really is a life you choose when you do this work. You know, it's like it becomes your, your world. And then the one, the one cool thing about it, I was was thinking about it earlier on is I have all the same best friends since school. Like that's cool. Same circle, same group, like best friends, a corporate banker, you know, my other friend works for Apple and like we all have our very own lives. And even though my life is slightly different from theirs, there's like a complete acceptance. And I think that's also because I've been okay with what I do. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that, yeah, I think, you know, often the mirrors in society that we have of our own discomfort, yeah. um, it's kind of like, you know, negative comments. It's like, you know, I don't think anybody loves having a bunch of negative comments at them. I don't necessarily think there are many people who are like, whoa, loads of, but I think when they get under your skin, it's always worth investigating. It's like, oh, what part of me believes that? Or <laughs> yeah. that's in me and this person is giving me a gift of letting me get into the seed of it in myself by, you know, taking that little arrow they sent and finding the wound that it's located in me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So your publisher sent me this and it arrived yesterday oh you did your it's your raise your vibration book i love how shiny it is because it arrived um i wasn't expecting the shine i have seen this book out there um oh, you on your website because you put it, you put it out there a couple of years ago didn't you i yeah, think 2016 so n- number one it's um 111 practices to increase your spiritual connection yeah. um and i kyle you have seven books is that seven right books. yeah and you have beautiful card decks too. I've I've yeah. seen the artwork on your card decks. One of them on its way to you, so it might it might Thank arrive. You. I know you told me that was coming. I'm thrilled because the, the artwork's really stunning. But I wanted to ask you because you know this book is Raise Your Vibration 111 Practices. One thing I noticed, um, because we've you know, we're on each other's social media a few years ago, you really got into fitness 
uh, as one of your big practices and you really started sharing about that. And I was curious how that has changed your your vibration and your foundation. Yeah, I think like most people, this is sounds terrible, like most people, but a lot of people in the spiritual world, I was very all mind, very all soul, but not enough body. Yeah. And there was somewhere along the journey where there was a complete disconnect from my physical being. And I, I'd noticed when I look back at my earlier times, I think I was, you know, interested in raising consciousness and the idea of ascension and all these different things. But what I've come to understand is that for me, it's not about going beyond the body, but actually arriving within like the deeper we arrive in ourself, like the deeper we actually get to know the voice of our soul. Mm. And somewhere along the way, I, I felt there was a disconnect. I had got very overweight and fit. And it wasn't a problem for other people, but it felt like a problem for me. And I started first with yoga. Like it became just, I wanted to try it. and 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 it became something that, that I enjoyed. And then I realized that when I was doing this stuff for my body, like when I came to do the, the mind and the, the soul stuff, like there was like a synergy, there was like a connection, there was a clarity is a great word. You know, there was this feeling of openness and a vastness and I wanted more of it. And it kind of became a bit of an addiction now, you know? <laughs> uh, so, and then, you know, I ended up going so deep down the yoga path. Like I ended up, being in India, practicing, you know, ashrams and doing like very long like sadhanas and like going really deep in, into it. And then I realized that I actually started to use the yoga practice as a sabotage towards my body again. And I had to, to re investigate that, you know, like uh, the style of yoga I was practicing is all about, you know, when you master one pose your teacher will then give you the next and some of these poses were you know full-on contortion <laughs> and um, and I was and I'm like I'm a Scotsman you know like I'm six foot one 42 yeah. inch chest you know like I'm a bit no, you're bad. solid you're solid yeah, I've seen you doing your workouts yeah so when like, you know, someone's asking you to put two legs behind your head and then bind your arms around it, I was like, hold on, like, I can do this, but is it making me happy? <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I kind of pulled back on that and I ended up uh, finding myself doing functional fitness and weightlifting and I do everything, cycling, hiking, you know, running. I do it all, yeah. all about it. But there, I'll tell you this, for me, it's... Now it's more for pleasure. It's not to like change anything. It's more just to to arrive in myself in a deeper way. Yeah. And like there just really is something about movement that really shifts something for me, you know? Mm. Um, so I think I got to one end of the spectrum and I've, I've finally found like a nice balance. That's cool, uh, man. Yeah. No, it's funny because I, I, there's a there's a resonance for me with you because it was three years ago that I really committed to fitness in a different way and, and a bit like, you know, I'd kind of done different things all my life, but often it was either to change something or because I thought I should. And it was about three yeah. years ago that I was like, no, no, I need to do this for, for, for strength and for, for my sense of kind of grounding in the world. Because like you, 
I had my very out there period, especially when I went deep into the channeling. And I also started to notice in the spiritual community this, well, twofold. Number one, the leaving of the body, or number two, the never being able to return to the body since some kind of trauma had taken you out. And so spirituality became the the kind of safe place. Mm. But then you weren't, it's, it's like spirituality or ascension eventually asks you to return to your body. And if you don't, it starts to hurt. So it's like maybe you got out your body because of trauma, but if you stay out your body for too long, the trauma will get really intense because at a certain point we have to come back in and heal. So yeah, I, I, I too have found the, the kind of the commitment to, to, to fitness for the purpose of strength in a very holistic way has right. been a real game changer for me. Plus it's super cool, like just putting something heavy above your head. Like I think that's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. I got that up there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or like doing a handstand push up, like that's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I know you have become very known for around the world is your writing. I mean, I know there are many different things that you do, but I have it here that you have 60 plus international publishing deals. And maybe since that was written, it's, it's kind of more than that now. So what is the process of writing like for you when you craft a book or a, an article? How, how does that look for you? You know, I'll be really honest. I'm so linear. I um, There's a bit of A-type personality in me. I genuinely kind of fit into doing things in a routine, in a routine and by schedule that feels good to me. So like I meditate at the same time every night to the same amount of time the same music like I've got this little thing so when I'm writing I actually create like a linear structure plan of what I'm going to do and when I'm going to write it and and I follow it pretty pretty neatly and it works because so yeah so that that's genuinely how it works but I'll tell you why it works it feels to me that a lot of my work is spiritually inspired you know and I, I do feel angels around me when I'm doing it. And it feels like I'm not just making an appointment with my MacBook to make this thing happen. It feels like it's like a commitment from my soul to the angels. Like I'll be there then let's show up together, yeah. you know? And it really, it really does work for me. Um, and I, and I only write in four hour windows and it's just so lovely. Just, and I'll say, okay, that's me. I'm going in. And that everyone knows that that's, an undisturbed time where I will be creating something in four hours, but I'll, I'll like, you know, create 6,000 words in a day. Just like, so you will write for like four hours. I will go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's really, it's really a great process. I'm doing that right now. Actually I'm writing a book. It's due in September. And, um, I did that this morning. It was a brilliant, um, uh, experience today. Lots came out. <laughs> Are we allowed to know what the book is yeah, about? It's already listed online. It's crazy. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, it's called Div- uh, "Divine Masters: Ancient Wisdom." Mm. And it's it's a book about the ascended masters and uh, masters of ancient wisdom. And I really wanted to write a book about the masters that also wrote uh, spoke about some of the controversies around ascended master teachings and kind of shed a light on some of the shadow. So it's somewhat a bit of, um, you know, investigation work, but also uh, the book has 40 activations in it where I've channeled 
information from these universal guides. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Could you could you share with us like could you give us an example of say a controversy or, or you know a yeah, shadow like I, area that you've elaborated on? Yeah, I, I spoke about. Well, I'm really interested in Helena Blavatsky. I'm not sure how much you know about her. And she, I know her name, but I don't know much about her. So she kind of was the first person to ever speak about the Ascended Masters. Mm-hmm. Had someone had spoke about the Council of Light in the 1400s, but apart from that, she's like one of the first kind of Westerners to really talk about these masters from the East. And basically she is the creator of the Theosophical Society and she was born in Russia and she was the first Western woman to travel to the East and search for spirit. Like that's mm-hmm. it. So she's influenced so many of us, all of us who are like, I'm going to India to find myself. She was the first Julia Roberts doing Eat, Pray, right. Love. Right. That's who she was. And she um, basically was a medium channeler, kind of an interesting woman, a great business person, I guess, um, who brought the masters of ancient wisdom to the world. So she was the first person to speak about like masters like El Moria or Kutumi, if you've ever heard of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she basically had these letters from these masters and we're not really sure if they were channeled, if they were a ports, you know, that's the way they were presented. And for a long time, the Society for Psychical, uh, Psychical Research had basically put her down as a fraud. Mm-hmm. But 100 years after she passed away, they actually said our reports and our investigation was flawed. We're not actually sure if she was a fraud. And the letters that she had from the masters are now held in the British Museum. So, like, I spoke a lot about these things and how, you know, was she, you know, just a great mind or was she actually channeling these beings from another world and trying to present it in a way where people could fathom it? Because, you know, the idea of these letters appearing out of the air is kind of, wow. Yeah. But was she actually writing them, you know? So it's pretty, pretty fascinating. She's the first person to ever write about the Akashic records. Like that came directly from those letters. And so... All of us have been influenced by this great teacher, but yet don't know the source. So I wrote a lot about that. That's great. <laughs> That's great. So you, you, yeah. you're submitting by September, which means, what, about a year later it will come out? It'll be coming out in April, believe it or well, not. That's quick. Really fast, for, yeah. for traditional publishing houses, that's great. That's great. Great. Yeah. I, um, I, I like the deadline thing. It works yeah. for me. Um, it was supposed to be a little bit later, but because we're not traveling as much more spaces opened up and right you know i'm supposed to be in california right now (laughs) i know we'd have been here in person but um yeah yeah hey at least at least the technology works so it's interesting you mentioned you know this this great woman who has influenced so many of us and it, it leads me back to something that i left untouched in the earlier part of our conversation which is your grandmother and your mother Right. So in an email to me, you referred to your mom as your momager. And <laughs> yeah. um, that's kind of cool, you know, when we know the origin of her with her four and a half year old boy kind of going, what what's going on? You know, how great that now here we are, you're 32 mm-hmm. and she's your, she's your momager. And I, well, two <laughs> things, I guess, I guess I would love to talk about your mom a little bit. And I was also curious how present your grandmother is with you today, like how much... 
you know how much you're you 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 feel her around you because as soon as we came on the call I was like oh this is grandmother you know it's like she's so here with you I'm curious about that so choose one of those great ladies to start talking about first I think I'll talk about my my nana first um I still call myself a nana's boy so even though she passed away you know 28 years ago there's still like this it feels I speak about her like she's here like she's part of the the whole unfolding like um I'm not a vegan just so you know my mum went to the butchers (laughs) today and uh, she brought me up the like the meat that my grandmother used to make and I was like well it's just the way my nana likes it you know I just like have these conversations as if she's still very present so yeah, very much a big part of my life and my world and feel very connected to her, without a doubt. And um, I there's just, like, little things that my grandmother had that I have. And, uh, you know, like, she loved shopping. She'd just buy anything because she could buy it. And she loved the Queen, which is another thing. It's like, just can't help but love the Queen because she loved the Queen. Are you, um, are you watch, have you watched The Crown? Yeah. Well, we're very late to that party. We just started really? this week. Yeah, we just, this week. I kind of, I don't know why, but now I'm all over it. But, um, oh, it's so good, you, isn't it? The Queen is amazing. I'm, I'm loving Helena Bonham Carter as well. I wish I, I wish she was in it. Anyway, hopefully next so season. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but have you met the Queen? No, have you? Let's, let's hope you manage to squeeze that in. Let's hope, let's, let's, let's put that out there. so cool. Yeah, yeah. That but um, no, I, no, I haven't. I haven't. Um, I've see the- been close to them, but I haven't, haven't met them. Have yet. you? Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. We grew up, we grew up just outside Windsor. So, you know, they, they change carriages for Ascot and stuff. So, um, so one, one time me and my family were there and I was amazed how close you could get. I was like, this, this seems very like, you know, anyone you know anyway I won't, I won't go down that road but um They've probably got horse fields and stuff probably <laughs> probably but so so your nana and then your mom so tell me about your mom and, and her my mom thing that you do my mother is an amazing woman uh she we've just you know been so tight such a great friendship um a great supporter very much part of everything i do still loves to be part of it so she came up today and um she lives about 45 minutes away so but she works for my business now um she just like does business and accounts in my diary uh, and she's very much involved in just the day-to-day running but she worked in the airport for 20 years like that was her job she worked in vip services looking after like celebs and all these different things and then my mum had a health scare. She got breast cancer a few years ago. And it really took a lot of the wind out of her sails and she lost her confidence. And I know she's okay with me sharing this because um, she let me share her story online to help other people. Mm. And um, when my mum decided she was going to go rogue, uh, she wasn't going to follow traditional health, uh, like the health system. She was going to go rogue and do her own healing journey um, I said to her, do you want to leave the airport then? Like, cause I'm, I've totally got the assets and the income to be able to yeah. bring you on board and, you know, become part of this. And she was like, okay, I, I feel good about that. So, um, my mom decided to leave the airport after 20 years and come on 
our business and become a bigger part of it. So it's just been the last few years, really. Yeah, she she's always been a bigger part of my journey, like always yeah. front of all, all my talks. and But um, obviously, business has changed a lot in the last five years, I'd say. And, you know, there's been a real acceleration and a shift of, I guess the internet is a big part to do with that. And uh, so my mum became more involved in the business and, um, you know, it's been really cool just to see her be able to flourish, but also be able to not be so stressed about life. And mm. I actually paid off my mum's mortgage last week, which was a big, mm. big like, goal. Um, so that was so cool. Right. Yeah. But yeah, very strong relationship. My mum's very psychic. Yeah. Very psychic. She literally will close her eyes and will see everything. Like, And did she know that when she was younger or is that something that's developed for her? So my mum's grandmother was a tea leaf reader. Mm. You're in the, you've got a lineage. I do. And yeah. My grandmother held seances in her house. Right. So there's like a bit of a thing. And my mum's sister who passed away uh, this year, uh, last year, is um, she, maybe it was this year, it was this year. She also used to dabble when she was younger, uh, but she became a Christian and decided that it wasn't for her. But it was it was so cool um, that there's definitely evidence around that. That's people. great. That's yeah. great. And it's funny too, because I, I, you know, my mom, I was very close to my nan. She died um, 20... 20 years ago now. Yeah, 20 years ago. And I still feel her around all the time. And I know she was deeply intuitive, but she was a very quiet woman. She was very nonverbal, but there was so much. I mean, she was an amazing woman. And um, so much I wish I could talk to her about now on a human level. But, you know, I have other conversations with her. My mom is very intuitive and she has started to own that more in the last decade. And I think in a weird way, me doing this weird job that for my family was a bit left field, you know, 15 years ago, um, yeah. kind of helps. I, and, I, and I think that's the truth for any of us, whether it's a relative or I think, like I said earlier, this stuff is getting more normalized. And so the more people talk about it and it's just kind of in the air and just seen as a part of our life, um, whether you are a tea leaf reader or whether you're just someone who goes, oh yeah, I have these feelings that this person's <laughs> going to call me and then there they are, you know? So it's it's just that level of intuition is definitely heightening on the planet and i think that's also why you know we were saying before the call we both started in 2004 what a different time around all of this stuff um now it's just it's kind of unbelievable isn't it how how much more normalized that the kind of work we do is in the world yeah it's it's just i think there's there really has been a a shift of consciousness, but I also think that there's two sides to it. I think it's it's cool to be spiritual now. You know, mm. we are in the age of the woke. You know, everyone's becoming mm. woke, as they call it. It's, so it's it's kind of like it's it's cool to be spiritual, and you can walk into stores and find crystal necklaces anywhere now. And so there's there's this, but I actually think sometimes it's okay to come in from a a level of vanity. Because I think if you read about it enough and study this stuff enough, then eventually you're going to have some sort of experience or you're going to open up. There's going to be a shift that happens, you know. Uh, So I think that. But I also 
get this sense that genuinely, I just think the world is craving so much more truth. You know, I think we just want integrity. You know, we want it from our world leaders, so we have to find it in ourselves. Like, I think that's so important. Yeah, and I think the the kind of programming and conditioning of humanity that we all came up through is like feels like a very uncomfortable outfit now compared to maybe 20 years ago when it was easier to tolerate it or there were only certain people who wanted to kind of bust out of it i think it's that that's growing at such a rapid pace so i'm curious do you because you know part of my job is to kind of report on what's going on energetically every month i mean that's what i've been doing (laughs) even though i'm amazed i'm still doing it there were times i thought i'd stop but now i'm kind of more on it than ever i guess um i'm curious do you ever get do you have um messages conversations with the angels about the specifics of this shifting consciousness that we're in right now in this time so when yeah so every month i do a a call for my angel team and we 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 kind of speak about the angels often just kind of give guidance or energies that we can step into in order to kind of feel comfortable or be able to navigate through these times yeah and um it was funny because i was i've got a diary and i write it all down and i look back on it and i was looking at it today and um they, they kept talking about how this was a time to reclaim the lost aspects of the self you know like everything that you felt embarrassed to own in the past or felt like you shouldn't be doing or all the parts of your gifts or your abilities that you've kind of pushed down in yourself now is the time to claim them and um it was funny one of the things i was speaking about recently i shared it with uh, gabby bernstein as well on her show that the angels keep saying this same line to me all the time. The best time, the best time to change is when change is happening around you. Mm. And, and that's like the thing I keep coming back to is like, I think this is the change the world has been waiting on, but it's never going to unfold unless we make the changes that we also have to, you know, to make in our own lives. So I keep saying to everyone, if there's something that you feel like you're supposed to change, like make sure you do it now because it feels like this is the gateway, the window, the opening that is allowing us to kind of step into a newer age, a a different time, you know? Yeah. But it was also like, I had this dream. I have dreams a lot. And then the angels showed me the earth having a detox. And it was like, in order for her to... Um, release impurities we have to become aware of them and it felt to me that that's what a lot of the stuff happening in the earth was about that the impurities are rising up to the the surface you know and they're kind of like these zits that we can pop yeah (laughs) just in case i don't know if zits in america is the same thing i'm not sure but spots like acne you know just yeah i think americans say zits because i've been american i think so cool okay Okay, cool. <laughs> I think I've been going to the US for so long that I actually say American words. That's now. the problem I have now. Yeah. Having lived here for eight years, yeah. I never quite know which word to use. Like, you know, because I have to translate certain words. Uh, it oh, yeah. sounds insane because it's the same language, but there are so many words that really mean very different things here than, than they do in, in the UK. <laughs> um, it's interesting you said all that because it's so, you know, I always think that 
for for any of us getting messages, whether we, you know, like you and I do, put those things out publicly or whether it's just privately, I always find it fascinating how in sync all the different messages are. And, you know, you were just talking about the the cleanse and we're recording this mid-August, so it probably won't come out for a little while, but we're recording it mid-August and one of the themes for this month was really getting deep into this cleanse and this purge time on the planet. And the thing that you said about change, you know, the one thing that the Z's, my guides who I channel, said several months ago when there was a recording I did called The Activation of Planetary Awakening, and they basically said, 2020 to 2030, here we go. Um, it's take no prisoners time. So if you don't, if you're not willing to awaken, you will be dragged into it. Meaning it's going to be a very uncomfortable time to go through if you haven't yet woken up to your true nature and living a bigger life, whatever that looks like to you, whether that's you know, being more mindful of your soul or whether you never think about the word soul or spirituality, but you suddenly find the freedom of expression that perhaps got ex uh, suppressed in your childhood, basically just bringing your full self to bear on your life. And that that's, that's what's going on for the whole planet. So it's like deeply uncomfortable at times and edgy at other times, and then really exciting and enlightening and uh, you know, it's the roller coaster, depending on what position of the ride you're on and, and how calibrated you are to those those speed bumps, you know? You know, I'll, it's funny you say all that because I think the other thing that I've noticed recently is, I don't know if you felt this, but I feel like I know my role now. Mm -hmm. Like, more than ever. Like, yeah. for a long time I thought, you know, my life and my work would look like a specific thing, but now it feels so clear. Like I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. Totally. And, you know, and it feels like th that awareness has shifted a lot in me. You know, like I know my, my work is centered at beginner's mind. I'm supposed to get people started. You know, like I know that my work is easy, digestible. Like I want to just find someone who's never found spirituality before and kind of like, welcome them in like I know that's my role and um and and I feel like that's what the angels the angels the topic of angels the interest in angels it's a safe space for many people you know like th it's this true. Is, it is isn't it yeah and it feels like approachable and the idea that these beings love us so much because they do and 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 we've all heard of them it's not out there it's not yeah. too far away like that awareness has only came to me this year like that feels so clear yeah it's interesting you say that because something something that really struck me it was a few years ago when I was um talking to different publishers about the book I was going to release and one of the publishers was Hay House and yeah I thought like, over that <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I was like why is this guy not with us like he's our people <laughs> yeah no I, I actually loved the meeting I had with them um but yeah, we, um, I, was, I was reading about Hay House and it really blew my mind that Doreen Virtue, when I was reading the, the kind of the, you know, the stuff about Hay House and who they were, and I mean, of course I knew who they were, but I was looking at it a little deeper because of the book. Doreen Virtue was the biggest selling author ever. Author. And, and, and why that blew my mind was I immediately just linked it to angels. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Because, you know, there's so much out there. Hay House has so many authors and other publishing companies do too. Great stuff all over the place. And it's, it was just, it struck me. I thought, how interesting that that's, 
in a way, the acceptable face of spirituality and, and, a, and a great spiritual entry point. I mean, it makes sense, but I was just struck by it because it, was, it wasn't anything I'd considered before. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Pretty incredible. And to consider that Louise Hay's book, You Can Heal Your Life, mm. sold over 100 million copies. So just, just to bring that into the picture, is kind of like, well, okay, there was a lot of books in distribution there, you know. Yeah. And her book was really important for me. I'll confess, I never fully read all the chapters, but I really? love, oh no, I'm, I'm a bit like that with books. It's weird. I have, I, I'll have the books around me because I know that having the title and the book in my presence energetically is doing something. Like I've always yeah. been like that. And it yeah. will, it's weird. It's almost like I'll have the book in my presence and something will integrate. Um, but I used her energy dictionary a lot, like from the age of like 22 to 27, <laughs> anything that was going on, <gasps> what does this mean, you know? So I really I really credit her and that book with being a big part of my training around uh, really beginning to understand, define, and tap into energy diagnosis, because at that point, I was still an apprentice, really. So, yeah. Lisa's amazing. She would love you. Uh, I'd love to have met her. She... Louise Hay was so cool. Like, I was so lucky to get to hang out with her, you know, and to meet her several times and to be in her company. She was yeah. incredible. But that's that was something that was really important to me, that becoming a member of the Hay House family and, like, falling into that lineage. When I learned that Louise Hay started her work as, like, an AIDS counsellor and to yeah. create this whole movement. Work. Right, I was just like, she's my woman. Yeah. And as soon it's like she has like the best gaydar in the planet because as soon as <laughs> gay man comes in, she's just like <laughs> like so yeah. awesome. It's really cool. That's so awesome. as soon as she saw me, she just went straight for like kisses and like <laughs> doing all this. And you know, it was very funny. Awesome. But you know, just to circle back to what you said about purpose, one of the things that was coming through me a lot on stage in 2016 and 2017 when I would channel messages for audiences or online in, in you know my portal community and stuff, this repeated message, you are needed and now is your time. Like I almost got bored of it and embarrassed of it because it was like, oh God, we can't say this again. <laughs> Especially because I knew certain people were like showing up at multiple things. Um, but there was this, there was this, I'd like, I'd never felt such a, a kind of intensity around that message. And then a message that I have personally experienced as true. And I've seen come true for so many people. I know they said that in the coming years you will, and this was, this started about 2017. I think I was doing an event for alternatives in London when this first came through. And then it came through multiple times over the course of the next year to 18 months. They said, uh, you think the planet feels unstable now in 2017? They were like, give it, give it a few years because it's going to get worse. And they said, but as things destabilize, more of you are going to stabilize. They said, and it doesn't mean you won't have compassion or um, you, know, you won't have empathy for the suffering that you might see for certain people or the difficulties you might see for certain people. They said, it won't make you immune to that. But they said, for many of you, you're going to live on purpose in a way you have never experienced before because this is the time you were built for. Mm. And I have seen that from everybody, you know, from, and, and it doesn't even relate to like the job you do in the world. I've just seen that in people I know whose who's, who's work is really raising their family, but the level of certainty they've got, 
who they are for their family, who they are with their community. Something has kicked in for a, for a whole group of people that, like you said, it's like there is this certainty of purpose now. And it's like, oh, th- there's, there's a lot of work to be done, quote unquote work, because sometimes that looks like work and sometimes that's not work at all. It's just the energy you're in or the random conversation you have with a stranger. There's just a lot to be galvanized in this unstable time. And it's yeah. very purposeful work. And a lot of people have like activated. Yeah, totally. I think I think work is the key word, you know? Like, I think a lot of us would just love it to be all shiny, happy all the time, but it, it genuinely requires action, you know? Yeah. It requires us to really show up. And and um, I, I don't think I realized how much work was entailed yeah. doing this work until it's become my work, you know? And I think from the outside in, people can see, because it is, because for me, having a spiritual life is also a very lavish life. I have a very nice life and I'm not shy about speaking about that. And it looks really cool and we're traveling around the world and doing all these things. But there's also like a, there's a lot of graft that comes with that. And, you know, there's a, a lot of commitment and, all of the stuff that comes up when you're doing this work is is a commitment in itself, you know. And yeah, but I'm so so grateful to be doing it. Yeah, know? it's it's interesting, you know. One of the things that I I was really struck by because I loved creating since being a little kid, but whenever I'm talking to people, and I used to do this a lot in personal sessions, and now if it's a group I'm running or just a friend or someone I meet. The thing that you have to get over if you want to make something happen is you have to be willing to do what I would call the grunt work, which I actually love now. Um, But I think often, especially when you're a visionary or a spiritual visionary, you know, when everyone, whenever anybody tells me about this vision they've had, I'm always kind of like, okay, cool. And they're like in the euphoria of the vision. And I'm like, "Mm -hmm." And, and if I see them three months later and they're still in the euphoria of the vision, it's because the hardest part is bringing that vision down to earth, running it through your body, running it through your personality and all your isms and schisms, trying to build something in the world and see whether it's flowing and see whether it's flowing for everybody and harmonizing it. That's where the real work is. The spiritual vision is like the little romance moment that's lovely and that seeds everything. But like you, I used to love that stuff. And now that stuff's just a given. And that's like the top of the drip feed. And actually the kind of on the ground, how do we apply this and what do we learn as we do it? And what what healing comes up for me or for the person I'm doing it with? Or that that has become more fascinating the older I've got. Yeah, love that. Yeah. So good to be on earth though. Oh yeah, I'm with you there. (laughs) You have a question for you then. So I would say I'm happier than I've ever been this last few years on earth. Yeah, there were great moments, there were great times, but just in, in, my, in my feeling of being on earth, even with all the tumult that's going on, I would say I feel more landed on the planet than ever before. Is that true for you too? Definitely, and I, I think there's just there's a genuine love for the earth. I think that has also become so clear. Like, I love this planet and I want it to evolve, and so I'm going to do everything I can, you know, in order to, to support that. But I... I I genuinely feel that 
I know this sounds crazy, but I know there's a lot of weird things been happening on the planet. And I guess there's a little bit of privilege that comes into it. You know, I'm lucky to be where I am and doing what I do and living where I live and all these different things like that. That's genuinely there. But the world hasn't really shifted that much for me or changed that much for me other than I don't travel. Like I've always lived in this little bubble of, you know, my whole business has been online for years. So I, nothing really changed for me. (laughs) My whole team worked remotely. I always lived alone. I worked from home. It, It just felt normal. And it felt like, is there a reason for that? And I was like, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Like maybe this is stable so that I can be more stable for other people. There's not been dramatic changes in my life. And so it felt easier to hold space for others because I was already adapted to what was going on. Yeah, you know? totally. That's just my own thing. I don't think that's for the world, but I think I genuinely have been a better source of service, you know, and like we were able to run free trainings over, you know, the lockdown period and we had like 5,000 people there and just like, The fact that this was already all set up, Zoom gave us an upgrade for free. Like there was all these things that felt, you know, perfectly aligned so I could be of better service. So just things like that, really. Do you miss the travel, Kyle? Like, have you missed that? No. (laughs) No, normally. (laughs) It's kind of a revelation, isn't it? I'm like, oh, I'm going to travel. I miss one thing and it's... I miss going to Nobu. It's my favorite restaurant. Right, right. The one, the one here, where? Which? I've not been to the one near you, but I am um, London and in LA. Right. But I like my one favorite thing. It's my favorite restaurant in the world. Is going to Nobu. Right. Okay. Um, so I get to go there like twice or three times a year, and I yep. haven't had that this year. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. That's no, sad. I don't miss the travel either. I, you know, I miss, I miss some of the, I miss the people at our events because I always loved that, those connections and especially like the meet and greets at the end where you really, you never yeah. get much time if there's a lot of people, but you just get a moment to meet people. But I don't miss the disruption of the travel. And I've heard that from other people too, like people who don't even travel perhaps as much as we do, um, that they've, that they've, what they've found and discovered through being rooted. And at the same time, I feel a lot for people who have really struggled with that. You know, I've got friends and people that I know who like live alone and it, it's been a bit of a dark night of the soul for them. And some of them are coming out of it now and it's making them feel differently about what they want next and to, to create their life differently. Like one of them I'm thinking of specifically, it's, it's jarred her into realizing she wants to commit for her. It's important to find a relationship and she's been very on the fence about it for a long time. And now she's coming out the gate going, yeah, I want something. So it's so fascinating to see how personal and individual this transformation has been for for everybody in their different circumstances. And then, of course, the global healing that's occurring in so many areas. I mean, it's mind-blowing, really. I am. Sometimes I feel really blessed to also know so many people that do this work. And I also feel glad that I've been doing it a little bit longer than other people like online and so like you know I I consulted a lot of like long-time friends and author buddies who were used to traveling you know 300 days of the year and I was speaking to their teams and helping them get set up online so they could keep doing their work you know and because I think it's important like I think the world needs needs us all and and you know and I think that we just have to be willing to show up and do things differently and 
know, but travel's great. The world is a beautiful thing, but there's no place like home. It's true. It's true. So, Kyle, I could talk to you for hours, clearly, but oh, we you. are probably going to have to draw it to a close. So let me ask you a kind of <laughs> final question, um, pithy question, but I have a feeling you'll have a profound answer, no pressure. Um, what are you excited about in in the coming in the coming years and let's let's frame it two ways what are you excited about globally for the world in the coming years like what do you feel coming in for the world that feels good to you and what are you excited about for yourself and what you're doing in the world in the coming years okay uh, globally i'm i'm excited about the rise of the divine feminine mm. it's going to be so cool to live in an age where we see female world leaders like that yeah that's coming in, so I can I can feel that, and um, and I also, you know, I'm so grateful to be alive when there's a rise in social justice. Like I'm just want to acknowledge that. So I think it's going to be so cool to actually live in a world where equal opportunity is becoming possible. Like that's my my excitement for the world. So that and. Um, the other thing for me personally, I think it's just about um, arriving more and becoming more comfortable being me. And uh, I just bought a house in nature. So I'm moving at the end of the year to like this nice house and uh, my dream home, I guess. Beautiful. Are you still in Scotland? Yeah, Scotland, just, just 20 minutes out of the city. Nice. And um you know, like rolling fields and deer and foxes. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to just being able to set up a space to call home and um, and enjoy that. Like that, I'm honestly just open to anything else that happens, but I've not really made any more plans other than that, just to arrive more and to, yeah, to be home in myself wherever I am. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Thank well, you. Carl, thank you. Thank you for being here with <laughs> us. Thank, thank you for you. being you and doing what you do and, and just sharing a little bit with us about what you're doing, why you're doing it. And I have no doubt inspiring some other people who will have had some light bulb moments to do what they're doing in the world because of your journey. So thank you. Thank you for doing what you're doing. It's a pleasure. Hope we can meet up for an orbit at some point. We will. We will. We'll be, we'll be, we'll be in the UK very soon. So we definitely, we definitely will. Right. That'd be great. Thanks Cheers. so much, Carl. Big love. Thank you. You have been listening to Impact the World. For more of my work, please visit leeharrisenergy.com. In 2018, I launched a course called Empaths vs. Narcissists, a power dynamic and how to recover from it. It's a video course and it's designed to support you to recover from any kind of relationship where you have given your power away. It's interesting because narcissism has been this big topic and I think it's very easy for any of us to just point the finger and label people. And it's also very complicated. You know, at any particular moment, we can all have narcissistic tendencies or behave empathically. 
Why I created this course is time and time again, I was meeting and working with so many people who had got themselves quite entangled into this unhealthy dynamic and had come out of it, didn't know how to recover from it, didn't quite know what had happened to them, but also didn't know what to rebuild in themselves in order to avoid walking back into it in the future. And I certainly had my own experiences around this. So the course is born of personal experience, my experience of working with one-on-one -on -one clients and groups around the world for several years on this topic. And it's delivered via video, audio, worksheets. And for 2020, we are launching again this fall in September. And it will be open for just over a month that you can enroll because we like to support the course live. So as each piece is delivered over the two months, me and my team can support you as you go through the process. There are also some bonus interviews that I'm adding this year with people who have particular expertise and experience around this dynamic. It's the most healing course that I offer and have offered, and it has been very acclaimed by the students who have gone through it so far. So we're really looking forward to opening the doors again. It's a touchy subject, you know, it's not the most fun thing to, to, to look at or to visit in yourself, but the results can be profound when you figure out how you got yourself into giving your power away in the first place, how to recover from the fact that you did it, and then how to avoid doing it again in the future. So I hope you'll join us for Empaths vs Narcissists 2020. You can visit empathsvsnarcissists.com to find out more details about the full course.